we did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row, proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network, Verizon. Best and most reliable based on Root Metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined, not specific to 5G networks. True crime on A&E with groundbreaking original shows like The First 48, Cold Case Files, Accused, Guilty or Innocent, and American Justice. No one brings you closer. Groundbreaking true crime every Thursday and Friday on A&E. This is Who Killed Teresa? I'm your host, John Allure. Julie Supranin. I'm trying to wrap my head around this, so... A 16-year-old girl, it's like 8.30 at night, she's riding the bus home. Um, There's maybe two other people on the bus. She's observed having a conversation with the bus driver. She gets to her bus stop, gets off the bus, 50 meters. It's 50 meters from the bus stop to her home. Uh, you, you cross the road, you go through a hole in a fence, cross the front lawn to the apartment complex where she lives with her father, and you're home. She disappears. She has not been seen since Tuesday, November 16th, to Julie Sepranel, but uh, before we do, I, I want to have a, like a brief uh, interlude and discuss uh, a, 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 a case from the same uh, period in 1999 of Jolene uh, Rendeau. Uh, and I bring it up because you're going to see the threads of familiarity um, with everything that we've been talking about. So, so briefly, uh, Rendeau is this 12-year-old kid. Um, and she leaves her home about 4.30 on April 12th, 1999. She's roller skating and she goes to a local dépanneur, like a corner store on Charlevoix Street in Pont-Saint-Charles. And she disappears. Um, and, uh, you know, I wondered why this case was not mentioned in the La Presse article about the uh, non-résolu dans la région from December 1999. They talk about everyone else, um, but they drop uh, the Rendeau case. And it's because she, that, that article is talking about murders. And at this point in time, Rendeau was, a, was simply a missing person. They find police get a tip, and almost 12 years later, 
um, in September 2010, they find Rendeau's um, remains not far away uh, from where she disappeared in Point Saint-Charles. She's found um, under the, uh, I believe it's the, the Champlain Bridge on the Montreal side in, uh, in, in Montreal. Her remains are found there. And um, I guess for investigative purposes, but with total insensitivity to the family, the police do not disclose to Rendo's parents that her body has been found for almost a year, if you if you can imagine that. So it, it's not till like 12 years later that the the family can actually bury the the remains. I mean, if you can imagine the sense of outrage about that, and <clears throat> you know, with this case, it's very it's it's there's some interesting things because some bells should have gone off in your head. The first one would have been, wait a minute, John, aren't you talking about Jalil Campo? No, I'm talking about Jaline Rendo. They're two different cases. But, you know, one was a nine-year-old. This one's a 12-year-old. Um, but two cases with striking uh, similarity. However, with completely different offenders. It's, this is not a series. These, these are two different guys, as, as you'll see. The other thing that should ring a bell is um, she disappears from a, a dépanneur in Pointe-Saint-Charles. Where have I heard that before? Well, I tell you, you heard it last uh, season, if we call it. In the case of Tammy Leakey, Tammy Leakey also disappeared from a dépanneur. It was last seen going to a dépanneur in Point Saint Charles. And if geographically, if you if you want to know um, the locations, it's two different dépanneurs, but they're within blocks of each other. So one in 1981 and one in 1999. And and again, I'm not necessarily um, you know implying a, a thread here. I, I, again, I I, th- I think it's two completely different offenders and um you, you know again for years the the the, the police long suspect uh, a guy and his name is robert uh, laramie um and um you know the the, the police came so close and uh, and uh, rendo's mother uh, dolores susi it was incredibly vigilant over all those 12 years. And, uh, uh, but in the end, you know, they couldn't, um, they couldn't convict him. Uh, Susie actually, uh, sort of became infamous. Uh, she, um, she went to his trial, um, unrelated offenses. And, um, after the trial, when he was leaving the courthouse, she assaulted him. She punched him. She punched him in the back of the head and knocked him to the ground. And this was witnessed um, by several court officials and 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 by the the press, if uh, if you can imagine. And um, you know, just a, uh, uh, some further stuff about Laramie. He's currently in a federal penitentiary. He's serving a four year prison term for the abuse of two women he dated. Um, and his name was recently added to the National Sex Offender Registry. Um, for his extensive criminal record, uh, not that the sex offender is uh, registry is any use to any of us because it's classified. We don't get to see it, unlike in the United States. Um, 
he's he's also um, declared a long-term offender um and uh which will keep him you know with parole restrictions tied up for the remainder of his life but uh you know in in talking about rendo uh, one of the you know she's interviewed and one of the statements she makes i find very very telling um this is from a gazette article and it very briefly um the Montreal department that investigated uh, Jolil's case, Major Crimes, is one of the busiest and most crucial in the force. Susie said communication wasn't always the best. And, and then she's quoted, I always had to phone in and it was hard as a parent to ask because Jolil was a victim, but the family became a victim too. As a victim, I don't think we're supposed to call them. They're supposed to call us and let us know what's going on. I couldn't agree more. Uh, you know, that's a battle I've, I've been fighting for the last 16 or 17 years. It's a point that uh, Pierre Boisvenu, um, whose daughter was murdered, who's now Senator Boisvenu, quite a high, hardline conservative um, uh, uh, politician, um, on justice issues. And he's always maintained that the victim should not have to phone the police in these unsolved cases. Once a month, pick up the phone, phone the family, even if all you have to say is, I have nothing for you. Thank you. Goodbye. That's it. It's it's really hard to initiate those calls. I, I mean, it is, you have to psych yourself up. You, you have to... Um, you know, prepare in order to make those calls because they have all the power, right? I mean, not only are the police, they're the ones maintaining all the information about your loved one. So the power dynamic there is, is it's a very overwhelming thing to, to overcome. And, and, you know, you're trying to negotiate power with them. And I, and I think Stefan Luce uh, talked about this when we interviewed him, uh, writer in in december of last year that that summoning that will to have that conversation is 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 difficult and and challenging um i mean i i struggled with it earlier this week i think i had said to you that um you know i had a new handler with the Sarté de quebec it's my eighth handler uh or the family's eighth handler uh, and uh, they gave me a, a young uh, rookie who's a woman, and initially thought I, I thought it was going to go well. It clearly is not going well. Um, I got a. I, I I emailed her. I left them alone for a month. I emailed her and said, I, I think I'd like to discuss some issues. Have you had enough time, uh, Madame, to um, Mademoiselle? to digest the case and learn some things. And, and I got a rather curt email back with, uh, um, and the response with something like, uh, if you, if you ask me a specific question, I may or may not be able to answer your question, uh, blah, 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 because it's, uh, an open investigation. We can't blah, 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 uh, you know, over and over again. And then she questioned, like I had, I had itemized a, m a month ago some things that I, I wanted to talk to her about in a month. Uh, and all of a sudden, amnesia about having 
having talked about any of those things, no recollection of those things, which uh, I'm not surprised because when I, I was suspicious when I initially talked to her on the phone, um, she didn't appear to be listening. She just appeared to be waiting to get to the next point, which would get her to the hang up. Um, you know, all of this shit uh, is, is, there, is a struggle. And anyone who's been through the odyssey of a cold case uh, homicide on, from the family's part is all too uh, familiar with it. shines all over must take over and see us through the night back to uh, Julia Supranau 16 year old girl um, I believe that Tuesday evening she had she had taken the bus to meet a friend at the Centre Jeunesse like a youth centre and was coming home around um, 8.30 Tuesday, November 16th, 1999. As we said, a couple of people on that bus. She's she's engaged. She's sitting near the front of the bus and she's engaged in a conversation with the bus driver who um, no doubt she they knew each other. They'd probably ridden the route several times. Gets off the bus. As we say, 50 meters to the front door of her I think it's a duplex to properly characterize and she vanishes like that now um in, in like in the initial 48 the 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 Sarté de Quebec because this is in Terrebonne it's uh it's SQ turf and they come out with guns blazing um I think very quickly uh, no one assumes that this is a case of a, a runaway or somebody involved in the uh, underground world of prostitution, drugs, etc. Uh, her father, um, uh, Michel uh, Ciprana, is a v- very composed, distinguished uh, gentleman, w- was then, is is now. So, um, you know, there's, there's none of that hesitation or doubt um, this time around, the the lead investigator for the SQ is uh, Michel uh, Tanguay, a seasoned veteran. His assistant is uh, Roberto uh, Bergeron, um, and and they they flood the zone. As <laughs> I hate football analogies, but they they flood the zone. Uh, like eighty investigators, um, there's choppers in the air. They do 1,800 uh, knock and talks in the neighborhood. Um, they, they check the water. Uh, Terrebonne is adjacent to the Mille-Ile River. As we say, it's quite, uh, quite a rapid flowing river at that point. So they check the shoreline of the river. They check the sheds in backyards um, in the neighborhood. So they, they leave no stone un, unturned. Uh, the, the case is heavily covered. Um, uh, quite a famous journalist, uh, Patrick uh, Lagasse, for the Journal de Montréal, is is on the case, um, and uh, so uh, from this, the uh, you know, the, the, also the police are riding the bus um, 
talking uh, to to you know um, bus bus riders and 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 this and and from this and in talking with the bus driver who who last saw Julie. He says when she got off the bus, he recalls a man standing at the bus stop with a like a red ball cap on and a like a balaclava over his or scarf over his mouth potentially. And it's it's the bus driver who who is able to put together a composite drawing. So the police are on the bus showing passengers this this uh Composite, along with uh, a photo of Julie uh, Suprenant. Um and, and as I say, uh, 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 Michel, the father, um, I, I know, you know, like conducted himself with you know, like grace and composure. Uh, Legay said that he only observed him break down once, and it had to do with the recollection that he wasn't going to spend like Father's Day with her ever again. Um, and, you, you know, Tangue, or excuse me, uh, um, Suprenant, Michel Suprenant, um, became very active and vigilant in the early grassroots stages of victims' movement. He was uh, one of the initial uh, founders of uh, AFPAD, uh, Pierre Boisvenu's uh, uh, Association for Murdered and, and, and Missing uh um, persons, families of uh, persons missing and murdered. Um, and I, I think I recall there was a big to do. They called them the the forefathers. Um, shortly, like in the early two thousands, um, and uh, forefathers who were standing up for you know justice for their murdered daughters. Uh, I believe the forefathers were um, uh, Pierre Poivanou, um Michel Suprano, um, uh, Marcel Bulduc, and I think the last one was um, um, uh, uh, Johnny Goodbow, uh, Natalie Goodbow's father, uh, and all very noble in, in that, and, and and it certainly got had you know it made the newspapers and and it had uh, you know had weight behind it because they were vigilant, but you know let's not forget the mothers here. Many mothers have stood up in the name of justice. Uh, uh, we just talked about uh, uh, Dolores Soucy. Um, certainly, the mother Jolie Campo was extremely vigilant. The mother of Melanie Cabet, um, with annual marches, uh, was doing her part. And then, even when you go back to the some of the foundation years, um, uh, Joanne Dorian's uh, mother was vigilant. And let's not forget um, uh, of of them all. Uh, uh, the pri- the priors Yvonne Pryor, the mother of um, of Sharon Pryor, has been active in the cause of victim justice for we're going on uh, forty five years uh, now. So you know what about the mothers? Let's not let's not forget their action when we speak about uh, justice for for victims. So much activity around the disappearance of Julie Seprano. Uh There's a $50,000 reward is offered. There are billboards uh, up with her picture on it all over um, the, the Montreal uh, re- region. Um, uh, the, the, uh, but they can't, they can't find her. Um, so it's, it's leading to the, the disappearance is leading to frustration 
and um, the, the, the journalist uh, Claude Poirier, we've talked about him a lot on this uh, podcast, his comment, um, in, uh, I saw a documentary on, on this case, and his comment is, is, is really good. He said, um, a crime scene talks, Julie didn't have a crime scene. And that's where a lot of the frustration comes from. So continuing on, you know, years go by, they, they search again, they, um, they organize, uh, in French, it's called une battue, a search, they, they call in the 300 volunteers, the, the local search and rescue uh, squad, um, divers search the woods and the, the, the river area uh, adjacent to the Mille-Ile River, um, and they searched this area because police are coming to believe that uh, Julie was dumped in the river and she was specifically dumped there at that area of the river because the current is swift and it will carry the remains out. It's not till February 2001, um, so going on two years uh, later, that the Sarté de Québec begin to suspect a neighbor of uh, Suprenant, a, a longtime offender named Richard Bouillon, who lived in the apartment above the Suprenants in this sort of duplex or townhouse. Now, I've heard it two different ways. I've, I've heard he lived a couple of doors down, but uh, this French documentary, Quebec documentary, specifically stated that he lived above the Supranance. So, um, you know, he's in and out of uh, prison, you know, over the years for various offenses, for uh, conjugal violence. Um, you know, he's given treatments. Um, and, and, and all that, that, that Michel, uh, the father, knew, well, he, he, knew, he knew very little Um you know, apparently, bizarrely, Bouillon one time came to the door and said to Michel, you know, I've I've been in and out of prison. I've had my problems over the years, but I didn't murder your your daughter. Um, Bouillon makes a point of of asking to have a meeting with Claude Poirier where he um he emphatically uh, denies any involvement in the case. Um, for some reason, the police uh, get a warrant and the authority to seize um, his car um, and apart and and apartment. Actually, I don't I don't know what the probable cause was, but they do, and they dust it for evidence. And they don't, of course, they don't find anything because it's years later. Um, uh, how? How could they? But uh, Boulia is, um, you know, he's suspected in crimes in the 70s and 80s by the SQ. Um, and he had been guilty of sexual aggressions um, against seven to 15 women. Um, it boggles the mind. Um, you're led to ask yourself, I think, um, if, uh, if, if the... <laughs> If the Sarté de Québec, if Quebec police knew from the beginning, which they did, that Bouillon was a high-risk offender, then why didn't they know where he was living 
in November of 1999, which they didn't, clearly. Um, and to answer that question, we'll, we're going to answer that question. Uh, we'll, we'll come to that. But it, um, uh, it will not boggle your mind. It will just simply uh, enrage you at the injustice and incompetence of, um, <laughs> of the situation in Quebec. You know, we started this odyssey um, at the beginning of the year with uh, a close, was going to be a close examination of eight unsolved murders from 1987 to, um, to 1995. Uh, and, and that just opened up a, a, a shitstorm of uh, more cases and more information. In 1999, so in the in the in the wake of uh, Supranas' uh, uh, disappearance, the jour- uh, journalist uh, Jean-Paul Charbonneau in the, in La Presse writes an article where he catalogs uh, close to 20 uh, murders or missing persons cases in in a very short span. Some we know, some we don't know, and I'll quickly uh, run this down and my pigeon. French try to translate um, what we don't know. So, um, so the Rendo, the Jolene Rendeau case from Point Saint Charles is referenced. Um, the Marie La La Rivière case is mentioned from 1992. Uh, girl going to buy a baguette. Jolie Campo is mentioned. Girl going to a friend's house crossing through a forest. Marie Chantal Desjardins is is here. The the Rosemary uh, case out on a bike disappeared, found in the woods behind a mall. Uh, Melanie Cabet is here. Uh, and then one I didn't know of, uh, the disappearance um, the same summer of, as Cabet of Nancy Martins, 25 years old. She's found dead in the woods near Kanawake. Um, she's last seen alive in Napierville. Um and uh, a guy named um, uh, Gerald Jacobs, uh, I believe, is is, uh, is is arrested in that case. 1994, Elaine Cormier, um, she's found uh, naked in St. Hippolyte, Hippolyte, I can never pronounce that. Um, uh, she's last seen uh, the 20th of July. Um, she's found 13th of August. Uh, Andre Beauchamp is condemned for murder. Uh, the murder and rape of Chantal Brochu, 22 years old. Um, uh, Robert Leblanc, 40 years, old, uh, 40 years old, is condemned for 25 years in prison. Marie-Claude Cote, 17 years old, uh, disappears October 1991. Uh, the assassin is still uh, at large. Pascal Poulon, ten years old boy from uh, Pointe uh, um, from uh, Riviere de Prairies, uh, Valerie Delpay, uh, Maurice Vien, uh, Sebast- uh, Sebastian Metelvier, Wilton Lubin, Denise uh, Roux Bergevin. Uh, 
and on and on and on. Um, this frustrate, you know, at, at what what point does the public get to call the police's bluff and say you don't know what you're doing? At what point um, are we? Well, I guess suppose we're always permitted to call them into question, but at what point do do people in positions of power hold them accountable for their actions? Eventually, Bouillon's long legacy of social uh, deviance catches up to him. He's he's incarcerated for a series of sexual uh, offenses. Um, and I'll skip to the end, which I think we've talked about before. It would come as no surprise. Eventually, uh, Bouillon died in, in prison, and on his deathbed, he confessed that he murdered uh, Julie Surprenant. But before we get to that, um, I want to um, reference briefly an article by again by Paul Cherry of the Gazette. Um, in in the wake of all this uh, uh, this business, in March of two thousand and twelve, um, the um, uh, Quebec coroner uh, unex- uh, unexpectedly. Uh, uh, decides to have a public inquiry into Suprenant's uh, death. It's unusual, but it's not um, unprecedented at all. Um, and and out of that came various information. And uh, in, in this part, I'll, I'll read to you because it it delves into the history of Bouillon. It says uh, the Crown tried to have Bouillon declared a dangerous offender, which would have given him an indefinite sentence. But a Quebec court judge opted for the less severe long-term offender designation. In the process, disturbing details about Bouillon's past came to light. His criminal record by night 2003 included several convictions dating back to 1970, when at age 16 he molested a teenager at knife point and did the same thing to a 27-year-old 10 days later. According to court documents, Bouillon's parents had serious concerns about his sexual impulses in 1970 and had him committed to a hospital for three months. When he was readmitted months later after being convicted for the first time, he told doctors he was relieved because he could not control himself. Four years later, he tried to rape a six-year-old girl. After undergoing an evaluation at the Philip Pinel Institute in 1975, a psychiatrist diagnosed Bouillon as an individual with very severe personality disorders of a psychopathic nature and incapable of empathy. In 1990, Bouillon was convicted of sexually assaulting a patient who was at the same mental health clinic where he was being treated. When Suprenant disappeared on November 16, 1999, Bouillon was on probation for having paid a minor for sexual services in 1996. A pre-sentencing report prepared in that case described him as having a high risk of reoffending if he were in the presence of teenagers or young girls. He was not required to undergo therapy in that case because he refused to admit that he had a problem. On his deathbed in 2006, Bouillon reportedly confessed to a caregiver that he killed Suprana. He told the caregiver he had placed Julie's body in a sports bag and dumped it in the Middle Ile River. The caregiver did not tell the police what Bouillon said until long after his death. Police searched the river last year and they were unable to find the girl's remains. Now, many things in that are striking, um, but um, possibly most striking for me is how his pedigree is so similar 
to to what we were talking about um, two weeks ago in the case of Jalil Campo and and her offender uh, Dodelin. Um, they they both you know, appear to be in and out of uh, prison and in psychiatric uh, the same um, psychiatric clinic right in the east end of Montreal. Philip uh, Pinel. I mean, it's just uh, it's just uh, astonishing. Um, in the course of the coroner's inquiry, uh, a number of astonishing things are disclosed. Um, and the first that becomes apparent is that uh, Michel Supranat did everything right. He did everything he should have done. So he testifies and he said he specifically chose um, to live on the street where he lived because um, it was in a quiet part of Terrebonne, kind of isolated on the Ile Saint-Jean. So it's and so there was not, a, you know, there was not a lot of um, throughway traffic. It was just lo- local taf- traffic. And he, he inquired with the, the, the landlord about his neighbors. And he was told um, by the owner of the building that that, that Bouillon was a car salesman. Um, but slowly, as, as the police began to s- suspect him, um, Michel becomes more di- diligent. Um, a, he tries to to research Bouillon um, in a database of courthouse records, um, provincial courthouse records. That is, a, it's a that database of of sort of court actions is available to the public. Anybody can look at it, but it's antiquated. It's not user friendly, and and even Michel said that when he tried to ask for assistance, the clerk said that they were. They were too busy and they couldn't help him. So Michel did did everything, did everything right. Continuing on with the coroner's uh, in, investigation, public inquiry, and I'm 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 gonna again I'm gonna read from Paul Cherry because it's just too good to be believed, and I, I don't want to miss a thing with this. So um, the coroner's name is Radel Tessier. The issue of what information on convicted sex offenders is available to the general public in Quebec represented the bulk of the testimony Radel Tessier heard on Wednesday. Sergeant Gaetan Roost of the SQ is one of the only two police officers in this province mandated to access a sex offender registry created by the federal government in 2005 that is not accessible to the public. In the U.S., Rust said, you can find out in minutes on the Internet whether a convicted sex offender lives in your neighborhood. Yes, you can. Take me about 30 seconds right now. Roost said his police partner, who was seated in the back of the courtroom, was the only other officer authorized to access the federal database in Quebec. In other words, if another officer requested a search of the register... In an emergency, Wednesday morning, the only two people who could do so were in a Laval courtroom, several kilometers away from SQ headquarters in Montreal, the only place where the database can be accessed. This scenario prompted Rudel Tessier to throw her arms up in the air. (laughs) Ruth said... 5,400 offenders are listed in the part of the registry managed by Quebec, and more than 4,000 of them are not behind bars. 
Depending on the severity of their crimes, offenders can be on the registry for 10 years, 20 years, or life. Roos described it as a useful tool for investigations. As an example, he cited a recent crime in a hotel in St. Hyacinth. The SQ had no suspects, so Roost searched the registry by entering the hotel's postal code. He said that search alone produced a list of 27 sex offenders who lived within a 5-kilometer radius. In his final arguments, Supranat's lawyer, Marc Belmare, asked Rudel Tessier to recommend that the sex offender registry be made public. As well, he asked her to recommend that a law be adopted giving professionals like nurses the ability to come forward if they are privy to information like the confessions Bouillon made in 2006 as he was dying of cancer at Cité de la Santé Hospital in Laval. An auxiliary nurse and a nurse's assistant who heard the confessions did not come forward until 2011. The auxiliary nurse testified she felt she wasn't allowed to divulge the information. Michel Belizel, a lawyer for the Ordre des Infirmiers de Quebec, said the order maintains Bouillon's confessions were protected as professional secrets that can be divulged only through a court order. This is freaking nonsense. During the inquiry, Supranas said an SQ investigator told him that a nursing department head at Cité de la Santé put obstacle upon obstacle up when police first learned of the confessions in 2011 and tried to talk to the women who had heard them. After the inquiry, Belmer said he was very disappointed to learn that several people, including Correction Services of Canada guards, likely overheard Bouillon's confession in a special cell at the hospital, and nobody did anything. It's unacceptable, he says. Rudel Tessier will make her recommendations at a later date. This article is from 2012. I don't know specifically what the recommendations were, but it doesn't really matter anyway, because to this day in Quebec, you do not have access to the sex offender registry. Of course, the million-dollar question that you ask yourself is, could Bouillon have been responsible for any of these other crimes? Of course he could. If he was, if he was active as, offend, as an offender at the age of 16 in, in 1970, depending on when he was in and out of prison over the years, he could have been responsible for any or all of them. Um, in and on that note, interestingly, uh, recently I was contacted by a re retired Ottawa police uh, investigator who pointed out to me, he said, um, he's been following these matters, and he said to me, do not rule out the possibility that one offender is responsible for all of these crimes, which is very, very interesting because you do, you your mind kind of goes over the years, well, that's the improbable impossible, but maybe it's the, maybe it's the probable possible. I don't, I don't really know. Um, <clears throat> and then, I, yeah, I, it's, it's noteworthy to say in, in recounting this story, I, I, you know, I do know a lot of the players in this, uh, Michel Supranon, I, I, 
certainly know I've had lunch with him uh, at an AvPad event uh, a number of years ago. The, the, his lawyer, uh, Mark Belmar, is the same lawyer that uh, is, has represented us all in the, the matter of demanding of the Quebec Minister of Public Safety a public inquiry into uh, negligence with cold cases. So I certainly know Mark Belmar. The lead investigator on the Julie Suprana case, Michel Tanguay. Well, I I know Tanguay. Um, when when Teresa's file was handed off from the townships regions to the back, was taken back to the the central headquarters of the Sarté de Québec. It it came under the privy of a Tanguay. I, I think he wrestled it back. He said, "We can't have these yokels." Uh, involved in this matter let's let's uh, let's lock it down so for about a year uh Tanguay was my my handler um it uh, in, in fact it, it was Tanguay I who when I first looked at Teresa's file I had limited access he he opened up it up wider he didn't let me see everything but I, I went to the central headquarters of Sorte de Quebec uh, on Parthenay met with Tanguay uh put me in a room actually me and my brother brought the file box out allowed us to go through uh, everything you know tooth and nail and then uh, and then he set me up with Eric Latour um, from so from uh, Tanguay to, to Latour uh, who became one of the earlier uh, handlers and and both of them actually were I, I'd, I'd be um lying if I didn't say that they were top-notch. I actually miss those guys a lot because they were uh, really, really professional and really smart. And, um, you know, they were smart enough to know that they could they could tell you some information and, and uh, in, in certain ways that wouldn't be damaging to a criminal investigation. You know, they, they were that kind of smart, uh, which I really appreciated. Um, they... they they were less command and control because they had a sense of confidence in themselves and their abilities as criminal investigators. I'll close with this. Uh, I I found um, recently a, a French book on criminal investigations. It's like a textbook uh, for for the police, um, and. Um, it's got several sections beginning with interview techniques and then section on false allegations. Um, and it ends actually with um, criminal profiling. The, the opening chapter is by Michel Tanguay. Um, it's, and it's on the psychology of interrogation. The closing chapters... One is on criminal profiling and it's written by Eric Latour and Mark Lepin. And then the very last chapter is on geographic profiling. And it's by uh, Eric Beauregard and Kim Rosmo. <laughs> uh, Eric, we've never talked about, but I know him. He's, I think, Simon Fraser in uh, on the West Coast in Vancouver. Kim, we've certainly talked about the whole story practically began with Kim when he legitimized um, our our thoughts of three potentially related unsolved homicides. Um, so I think it's telling and proper 
for Michel Tanguay to have the first word in this textbook, but of course for Kim Rosmo to have the last word. This has been Who Killed Theresa? I am your host, John Allure. You can follow us, us on social media. Uh, I'm at Justice Guy on Twitter, J U S T U S G U Y. There's also a Twitter handle specifically for the podcast at Teresa Lore, T-H-E-R-E-S-A-A-L-L-O-R-E. You can follow us on Facebook at Teresa Lore the Podcast. You can uh, have a look at our website. That's just TeresaLore.com. If there's anything visually um, of relevance to what we talked about today, I will post a picture or a document. I'll actually I'll post this table of contents because it's interesting. And certainly pictures of the victims we talked about um, uh, we talked about today. Thank you so much for listening, uh, and have yourselves a great, great afternoon. She's getting down You don't see her much walking around town Well, you could say that she needs a little loving Looking for a light with her head in the oven This rotten world's gonna chew you up Swallow you whole and then spit you back out The sooner you recognize this simple fact This rotten world gives you what you lack Let's rock Gym sessions and sweaty summer activities are back, which means more funky smells in your clothes because sweat leaves behind bacteria that causes those hard-to-remove odors. Clorox Fabric Sanitizer products are ready to zap the stink out of fabrics in your home by getting rid of 99.9% of odor-causing bacteria. Eliminate odors in every load or sanitize fabrics between washes with one of our Fabric Sanitizer products. Search Fabric Sanitizer at Clorox.com to learn more. When it counts, trust Clorox. Use as directed. 
true crime on A&E with groundbreaking original shows like The First 48, Cold Case Files, Accused, Guilty or Innocent, and American Justice. No one brings you closer. Groundbreaking true crime every Thursday and Friday on A&E.